the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to this KGNW broadcast special, Heart of the City. Pastors, ministry leaders, and churches have received a call to serve their communities with the love and compassion of Christ. The call is from God's heart to the heart of the city. Well, this is Heart of the City. I'm Chuck Olmstead, the Director of Local Ministry Development for 820 AM The Word. You know, there's a scripture in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, that says, It is God himself who has made us what we are and given us new lives from Jesus Christ. And long ago, he planned that we should spend these lives helping others. There's a book that I've been reading recently uh, that many of you know. It's The Purpose Driven Life with Rick Warren. And I picked this book up after several years and started uh, going through it, actually at the first of the year, and I've been going through it by chapter by chapter. And uh, I was on chapter 29 uh, this last weekend, and I, I read that, and I thought of this interview that I'm going to do today. And the title of the chapter is Accepting Your Assignment. And uh, Rick writes this. He says, You were put on earth to make a contribution. You weren't created just to consume resources, to eat, breathe, take up space. God designed you to make a difference with your life. While many best-selling books offer advice on how to get the most out of life, that's not the reason God made you. You were created to add life on earth, not just to take from it. We have two ladies with us today who are adding life to this earth, and I'd like to introduce to you... Uh, Rachel uh, Cope and Laura Carr from Children of the Father's House, welcome today to Heart of the City. Thank you so much for having us. Well, I'd love to spend this next half hour talking about uh, Children of the Father's House and uh, how that came into being. And Laura, you are the director for for the organization. Tell me a little bit about that. What do you do for Children of the Father's House? So I am the director that runs daily operations and more like nightly operations since we're on an 11-hour time difference with the kids that we serve in Kampala, Uganda. Uh And um, really that entails everything from procurement to donor coordination to um, sending that money over to the other side that is doing that all on the ground in real time on, on the field. All right. So our listeners, uh, this is going to be a new uh, uh, work that our listeners are learning about. So tell me a little bit about Children of the Father's House. What is it? Where is it located? And uh, and uh, a little bit about that. So we are a children's home in Kampala, Uganda, which is in East Africa. And um, we house some really destitute kids that used to be destitute. And now, honestly, they're probably some of the luckiest kids in the country um, because they have a safe home and they have their own bed and they have three meals a day and they go to school. And so we exist because a couple of people who had a heart to adopt kids intersected an orphanage that 
ended up homeless and on the street in the middle of the adoption process. And when everybody else walked away, um, we just weren't able to walk away. Yeah. I love how you led off with that story because um, it's one of my favorite books. And um, I do feel like without our knowing it for a long, long time, God's been preparing us to live out a purpose. And this is definitely a manifestation of something that we did not know was in our plan, Mm -hmm. but it's definitely a purpose in our lives. Yeah. Now, Rachel, you're a part of this this group and this organization. What do you do? And uh, tell me a little bit about um, uh, your function there with Children of the Father's House. Sure. So I am a secretary to the board. So right now um, that entails trying to help Laura with uh, all the paperwork and um, bookkeeping in that sense. Um, I also am in charge of the website. I'd never done a website before, so that was that was fun. Uh-huh. Um, and then really uh, I think my main purpose is as a sounding board um, whenever we come to a crossroads on something that we're not sure where to go, um, we like to bounce ideas off each other. Because you're relatively a new ministry in the sense of this organization, right? How long have you been in existence? So this is about 18 months in operations for mm-hmm. us. And, um, yeah, it's been a really quick on-ramp, yeah. and we are flying yeah. all the time. Well, I want to get to the background of this because one of the premises of a heart of the city is to kind of learn where you were in your process and your spiritual walk to get you to the point where you're willing to help found a home in, in uh, Uganda to help uh, orphan kids. That that's just not a happenstance where you someday, you know, one day just figure, well, I think I'll do this. You, you've you had to have gotten to a point where you decided this is what God wanted you to do. So take me back. Take me back a, a few years. Where were you at in your spiritual walk? What were you doing? What what was your life like? And uh, let's move forward with it. What, uh, where were you at? Well, I can speak for me and say um, I was at a place where I knew God had more for me than going to work every single day and getting up and doing the same thing over and over again until I retire. I just knew there was more to that story that God had prepared for me in advance. And you're married. You have children. Yes. All of those things. So how many kids? So I have three children. Uh Uh-huh. Ages are? 13, uh, Buzz, and Mace is 11, and Harley is my daughter, and she's six. Right. So that's a busy life right there. Yeah. Which and I coached them, and I'm their Sunday school teacher, and plenty of things to satisfy, but just knowing that there's more in the world than my small life here in the United States. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And so are, full t- you work full-time? Yes, absolutely. So you work full-time, you're a full-time mom, three kids, lots of activities, mm-hmm. and then in the midst of all that, what was the Lord doing in your heart well, back so a few years ago? My to- husband wanted more kids. And I said, I don't think that's in my plan. (laughs) And actually physically couldn't have any more kids. So we Uh started thinking about adoption. And that's where all of this started to form as a picture of there's going to be a road we're walking down that we didn't know we were going to walk down. Mm -hmm. And um, it was through that process of uh, intersecting an organization that needed some help with getting people to help these kids in Uganda. And we decided to step up and do that. And I know that's kind of similar for Rachel as well. Um, 
So once that happened, we went through the process of trying to bring this child home to be part of our family. And three attempts to the embassy later with failure, people were starting to lose hope that we were ever going to be successful getting these kids home to be part of our families. And um, it insult to injury happened when the director of that orphanage died in the middle of these other failures that we were receiving from the government. And so that's when the organizations we were working with here in the United States just threw up their hands and said, we cannot do any more. And we're just going to have to walk away because we don't prop up failing orphanages. And um, three of us who were part of a small group of five families who were going through this process together. Were you, Laura, were you, uh, or Rachel, I'm sorry, Rachel, were you going through the same uh, process at the same time? Yeah, what had happened um, was actually I had known some of the um, orphans from when I had gone with another nonprofit Mm -hmm. um, to Africa. So I actually knew one of the kids and I had wanted to adopt him right then. Um, And so when we got the call that someone had been unable to take the the child that I called my son the whole time, um, and I said, okay, well, uh, tag me in. Uh, I'm in. And I had just gotten married a couple weeks before that. So my husband was like, I know this is what, or, you know, adoption's always been the plan for you, so it's it's our plan now, and, and so. So what's cool is, like, two weeks into marriage, they're like, hey, guess what? We're going to adopt a baby. Yeah. <laughs> Except he's not a baby. He's, he's, he's a 10-year-old. 10-year-old. <laughs> wow. That's got to be God. I mean, in the natural, every counselor in the world would say, you got to spend some time. You got to wait a while, right? Mm-hmm. But but when the Lord impresses you that this is the path to go on, there's a confidence there. And when there's agreement between the two of you, right? Yeah, for sure. And I even told Laura when we had gotten together to talk about, okay, well, where do we go from here? What do we do? We can't walk away. And Laura said, well, do we start our own orphanage? And I was thinking to myself, you know, I've always wanted, that was always a goal of mine, but I thought it'd be when I retired. <laughs> and that would be what I would do when, you know, in my in my late 60s and, and here I am in my mid-20s. And I was like, yeah, I guess so. Like everything has brought us to this moment. So it's going to work. Yeah. Yeah. Totally different from me um, where the boy that we had uh, decided to bring into our family fit neatly between our other kids and I was experienced mom and his favorite subject was English and he loved soccer and I'm a soccer coach and I was like this is going to be a great fit and um, then when it all fell apart it was just super heartbreaking yeah and had you met him yet only on the phone wow but yet your heart was still already embracing him as a son so something happens when you're a mom where you look at every child a little bit differently, thinking about what that, that that is somebody's child. Mm-hmm. And that when I saw a child who had no mother and father and knowing how much my own children have, I just couldn't physically bear the thought that that child was going to grow up without a mommy and a daddy. Mm-hmm. And so for that desire to take care of one more child that we thought we our, our goal was to take care of one, God's plan was, no, actually, I have a whole lot of children who have no mommy and daddy, and yeah. I have a bigger plan than you do, Laura. 
All right, so I'm talking to a couple of ladies here, and I'm thinking about the husband's point of view. What What are your husbands saying during all this time? Are they with it? Or are they kind of accepting it, saying this is crazy, maybe it'll fail, and maybe we'll go back to normal life? <laughs> I think our husbands probably deal with a little bit of crazy on a normal basis anyway. So. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> so they were probably, you know, at first like, oh, goodness, what are they getting into? But I th- think once they saw the kids and kind of had more interaction with them like we did on a daily basis um, and then saw what we were doing, too, it it was all they understood exactly why we were doing it uh-huh. yeah. and they were on board. Well, and I would speak for my husband, Seth, um, a little bit here, but he was the one who wanted more kids. So, <laughs> so it's his I'm fault. Like, it's not your fault, hon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but on the other uh-huh. hand, too, he's so supportive. And uh-huh. at, at each of these junctures, what, like when this director died and we were faced with this crisis of, oh, my gosh, these kids are homeless now. Not only are they not coming to the United States, which was a huge hope and a dream for them, but now they're actually on the street. They don't even have a home there. He and I kind of collected ourselves together and said, well, what do we have to do to fix this? Mm. For me, the faith intersection was I've been a Sunday school teacher since I was 16. And I have taught the Good Samaritan more times than I can count. And I just felt that tug on my heart so strong where it was, which one are you going to be in that story? Are mm. you going to be the one that's on their way to church and is too busy to stop and get their hands dirty and help somebody and actually live out your faith? Or are you going to be the one who slows down, stops, and looks in the ditch and sees what happened and starts trying to put pieces back together? Mm. And that was such a crisis of conscience that was so urgently put on our hearts. And both my husband and I shared that where it was we knew we couldn't just walk on by. Didn't know what that looked like to pick up the pieces or figure it out from there. But just knew there was something we had to do to be involved and make something happened that was better than the situation we were in. Well, we could spend and explore the, the, the process for, for another hour or so, mm-hmm. but I want to move us forward. Yeah. So what happened next? So you, you went ahead and, and did you say, we're going to take over this orphanage or you started a new one or what mm-hmm. did you do? Well, so we got together because um, in all honesty, this little small group of us who were trying to pursue the adoption we hadn't even met in person. It was all happening online. Mm-hmm. And so when the director passed away and everybody went homeless, the three of us decided outside of of the group, like, we need to get together. We're not okay with this, just walking away. And we should meet in person and figure out what our next step is going to be. So we, we did. Um, Rachel is in Seattle. I live over on the Kitsap side. And, and our other colleague, Catherine, is over on the Seattle side, I think Vashon. And so... So we just met in Gig Harbor, had a cup of coffee, and said, what do we do next? And uh, the, Rachel and Catherine were part of another nonprofit, and they said, well, we're probably going to have to put together a nonprofit on this end if we're going to be able to be sustainable and mm-hmm. do anything meaningful long term. And we're probably going to need an NGO on the other end because when the director passed away, the way they ended up homeless was that the family was split and the house was sold out from under them for the money. Mm -hmm. And so that split their board. There was no more NGO on their end. And so that required somebody to get on a plane and go put some pieces back together on the ground in Kampala. And as as we sat around that table and met each other for the first time strategizing how are we going to do this – 
Rachel was starting into a new position, and Catherine was already on another board. And I had a pretty secure, very secure federal government job and a little bit of leave on the books. And so I just felt like, well, I guess that's me. <laughs> that just leaves me. So when you look around the room and you're the only one that can stand up and you just stand up. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, but the cool thing was that Catherine and Rachel knew the folks that were there. And so it wasn't completely blind. They had mm-hmm. met them before. Mm-hmm. I hadn't. That they had, and so there was a little bit of safety in that. And well, you're listening to Heart of the City, and uh, I'm Chuck Olmsted, the director of local ministries, and uh, we're speaking with Laura Carr and Rachel Cope, and uh, their organization is Children of the Father's House, which is an orphanage in Uganda. Tell me about one of the kids there. You had mentioned that you wanted to share about him, and uh, tell me about is it Matov? Matovo. Yeah. Matovo. Tell me about mm-hmm. him. So he came just in the last several months, probably about six months ago. So during the time that I've been in the directorship and I got a call that there's a kid and we need to bring him in. And I was like, really? Because we don't have any beds and we're, we don't have any sponsors. And I just don't know if we can take on one more child right now. And and then I heard this boy's story and literally pulled my car over and just stopped and cried. And so this little boy is about seven, and his mother had died of HIV, which is so incredibly common there. And he was being raised by a father who was very drunk, just a, a drunk, drunken bum. Hmm. <laughs> and he was drunk every single day, and so and he passed out every night. And so Matovu... Uh, basically fed himself by doing small little chores for all the neighbors and came home one day to find his dad dead but didn't know that he was dead for three days because he was so used to coming to his dad being passed out passed out Mm -hmm. and so three days of daddy not waking up before a neighbor figured out that this little boy's an orphan and there, there's not a lot of compassion because it's so incredibly common and everybody's destitute, even the landlord is destitute. Mm-hmm. And so once they figured out that the dad was dead, they evicted him from the house and just set all his things on the front porch. And he was sitting outside of a locked house by himself at night and subject to every kind of terror you can think of in the middle of the night in a third world country in a city slum. With nobody to love him. With nobody to take care of him, to love him, to pull him under their wing, shelter him, feed him, anything. Mm -hmm. And so it was just obvious, like every time this happens where we get a new child, this thought of, oh my gosh, how are we going to do this, goes through my mind. And then the very next thought is, what would Jesus do in this situation? How could we not? Right. And so... Of course, the answer was yes, and it so happened that the same day a sponsor called me and asked me how my day was, and I told him, you know, it's actually been a tough day because I don't know how to say yes to this kid because I don't know if we can support him, but I know we need to say yes, and I told him the story, and he wept on the phone, and he said, I'll sponsor that child, and he ultimately was sponsoring two children now at this point, but it was the confirmation that when there's a need, and you are obedient, and you do what God is telling you to do, that he is going to send somebody along to back you up, 
and make it work. And I'll tell you time after time after time in this last 18 months, that has been true every single time. Hmm. God is so good, <laughs> so big. <laughs> he is, but I'm sure that you're naturally, your natural mind says, how is this going to happen? And yet he, he gives those resources however it happens. Yeah, my natural mind is economics and finance and contracting. That's my background. Mm-hmm. And so like my logical good senses and, and Rachel's, she's project management. She's kind of got that same business head on her shoulders. That's why we get along. And boy, you you put all those things in a bag and shake it up and then add Jesus in the mix and you get a whole different way of operating. Yeah. Well, we've got about four minutes because, uh, you know, I, I'd love to know, um, you have about 26 children right now that are in the orphanage, correct? Correct, mm-hmm. yes. So what, what are your needs? What what is what is next? You know, you've had this vision. The Lord's given you this vision. He's confirmed it with mm-hmm. you. And he's providing for you at this moment, which is all we can ask for. But then you obviously have a vision for what needs to happen next. And what is that? Well, right now we have done enough of a budget and worked up all of the numbers to show that we need to have double sponsorship for every kid in order to meet our operational objectives. And I am happy to say we actually are almost at full sponsorship for single sponsorship, uh-huh. but we would be looking for about 25 more sponsors to get to the point of double sponsorship for every child. And what and what typically is a sponsorship commitment? So $65 covers the cost of caregivers for the kids, as well as um, their tuition and books and uniforms to be in school. Mm-hmm. But in terms of the long-term vision, we know, and especially just, again, like the project manager, the economics background, the finance person knows, we need to be more sustainable for the long run. Right now, we rent a house. We need to own a house. We mm-hmm. don't want to be paying rent and, and dealing with septic systems that overflow and, and raw sewage running down our ditches, which is currently the situation we're in. So mm-hmm. we want to build a house and we want to have a sustainable farm right now we grocery shop every single week on the back of a boda boda which is about the equivalent of a dirt bike for 25 people that's a lot of trips on a boda boda and a lot of time so we're looking to buy a car and all of those things take some capital so we're we're subsisting on the operational budget and we're so so incredibly grateful for that and now it's time to cast vision for what it looks like to grow and become long-term sustainable yeah. When you say $65, is that a month? Per month. Per month. Mm-hmm. So realistically for you, it's about $130 a month per child to basically care for their all their needs per month. Well, you can't right. do that in the U.S. Mm-hmm. I mean, you think about a kid, I mean, that might be a, a coaching practice or a personal right? trainer, <laughs> you know, for a sports uh, kid, you know, that they're paying per month. might be a month. Starbucks bill. A Starbucks bill <laughs> per month, you know. Right. And so what an opportunity to really affect a child's life and to uh, change their life and to help transform their life. Well, we've got about one minute left, and and I just want to um, uh, give you one last opportunity as far as what would you say in, uh, in, in one minute here as far as how would you like people to respond to you? What can they do to help? 
Well, I think the easiest thing to do right off the top is childrenofthefathershouse.org is our website. And the most up-to-date, operational, day-to-day things that you can see, pictures of the kids, it's all on our Facebook page. We have a Donate Now button. That's also front and center on the Facebook page and on the website. Um, And we would love to hear from you. We are very personal in our responses, and we would love to hear from people and help people connect to the heart of a child. My, My theme for this year has been whatever you do for the least of these, You've done it for me. And I could not feel more strongly that that's just what Jesus asks of us for kids who are orphaned and in poverty, is that these truly are the least of these, not capable of taking care of themselves. Well, Laura and Rachel, I want to thank you for uh, joining me today on Heart of the City. Childrenofthefathershouse.org. You can go there to get more information about uh, about uh, this ministry. And I leave you with a, uh, a note back from, um, from uh, Rick Warren from Purpose Driven Life. He said, you're not saved by service, but you are saved for service. In God's kingdom, you have a place, a purpose, and a role, and a function to fulfill. This gives your life great significance and value. And I want to say that you are valued, and you are doing something of significance. And I want to say thank you very much. And um, the Lord bless you as you continue to minister to these kids in Uganda. Thank you so much. Amen. God bless. You've been listening to this KGNW special, Heart of the City. For more information about how your pastor or ministry can be featured on 820 AM The Word, call Chuck Olmsted at 206-269-6216 or go to 820amtheword.com. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.